Divisions are growing within the United Methodist Church. The nation's third largest Christian denomination may soon break up over whether to accept gay marriage and the rights of LGBTQ believers. In the split, the progressives are in the majority and the traditionalists are waiting on a ruling that will come from the church's general conference this spring that may cleave the church in two. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Peter Rowe, you cover a number of things at the Union Tribune, and one of those things includes religion. And there's something rotten at the heart of the Methodist Church, it appears. What's going on there? Well, I don't know if I'd say rotten, uh, but there is a, a long-standing debate uh, over the role of the LGBTQ plus um, worshipers in the church and what the status should be, whether they should have uh, lesbian or gay uh, ordained ministers, whether same-sex marriages could be allowed within the church. As I say, this is a long-standing argument, and it seems to be heading to the breaking point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm no expert on the you know various denominations of Christianity, but um, when I think of Methodists generally, I'm from the Midwest, and it, it appears that the Methodists are among the most progressive denominations of Christianity. Is that a correct characterization? Well, the Methodist Church is a is a global church. Now, it began in 18th century England and quickly spread from there to the colonies, the mm-hmm. North American colonies. Uh, but now it's it's actually growing quite rapidly in Africa. It's growing in parts of Asia. Uh, so it's it's a global church. And when you say you you regard it as a more progressive church. That's more or less true mm-hmm. in the United States. But in other parts of the world, uh, the theology is quite a bit more conservative, especially when it comes to these sort of social sexual issues such as you know LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, believers, right? Certainly. And um, what's kind of the state of the conversation within the U.S.? Because you've mentioned this has been a long-standing debate. What has the, the moves kind of been leading up to this? Yeah, so in the 1970s, a general conference was held. A general conference is a, uh, world, a gathering of worldwide Methodist leaders to talk about church policy and where mm-hmm. they're going. And at that time, a statement was adopted saying that homosexual practices were inconsistent with Christian values. Mm-hmm. And this remains on the books. This is still part of um, official Methodist teaching, but it's been challenged every four years since. These general conferences are held every four years. They're kind of like the Olympics or like a a presidential election. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a special conference that was called last year specifically to address this issue. And at that conference, the more progressive wing had hopes that they could strip that language out of the official documents and that they could adopt a more conciliatory approach. Mm-hmm. And this, like I say, this was the progressive wing, but again, it was mostly the United States and Western Europe you know, leaders who were doing this. Which that makes sense when considering the global stance on this issue. 
Yeah, right. It, it's uh, it's kind of not surprising in that way. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, there's still a fairly strong conservative wing within the uh, within the Methodist Church in the United States, and they allied with uh, the more you know traditionalist Methodists coming up from Africa and from Asia, and they were able to beat back this this effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was considered a, a big defeat for the progressive wing. However, the the church is governed in different regions by bishops, and the bishops throughout the United States, for the most part, are progressives. So they are not enforcing the kind of bans that they have on same-sex marriage. So same-sex marriages do take place, weddings do take place in American Methodist churches, even though, you know, officially they're, they're not supposed to. And so, so the traditionalists are frustrated by this and they say, why, you know, why are we even, mm-hmm. <laughs> why do we even have this on the books? if the bishops won't enforce it, if the bishops won't enforce church doctrine, then why are we sticking around in this church? And so there is a a committee that met. It brought together progressives, uh, traditionalists, the folks who consider themselves centrists, other people, you know, from different countries. Uh, It was a very broad-based committee and the solution they came up with is, well, let's just let the traditionalists leave and mm-hmm. form their own denomination. No mm-hmm. one's happy with this solution, but people I spoke to who are traditionalists and people who are progressives all seem to think this is inevitable and maybe the best of the bad, you know, bad alternatives. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, at least in the United States acceptance of queer individuals is a real kind of wedge issue when it comes to religion and a big reason why people lose religion, which, as we have seen over time, America has become less religious. Yeah, and that's, that's an argument that you hear from some of the progressives is, listen, uh, we are in a culture that is more and more secular. We are trying to reach out. And one of the reasons you get from, especially from millennials and younger, for them being less churched than their elders, mm-hmm. is they think that religion in general, Christianity in particular, is uh, discriminatory, is hostile toward minorities, including sexual minorities, LGBTQ individuals, and they see this as a, as a real stumbling block. Mm-hmm. Certainly, and for churches trying to grow congregation, having fewer barriers to entry is kind of the first step to opening up your flock, in a sense. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, the traditionalists, and I want to I want to give you know kind of equal weight to both sides here. Uh, the traditionalists are saying, well, listen, um, that may be the way society has changed, but does that mean our beliefs should change? That our faith should change? That how we read the Bible changes. Uh, there's a there's a very um, energetic uh, mm-hmm. debate going on uh, between the progressives and the traditionalists about how do you read Scripture, mm-hmm. and does Scripture mean just what it says, 
or do you have to put it in context? And this was an interesting part of the story was that John Wesley, the founder basically of Methodism, Mm -hmm. that he, people who have studied Wesley and Wesley's writings say that there's a Wesleyan quadrilateral. These are the four things that Wesley pointed to saying, here is how we know the will of God. There are four ways to know the will of God. Mm -hmm. One is scripture, one is tradition, another is experience, and the fourth is reason. Mm -hmm. So the argument tends to break down that the traditionalists are going more with scripture and tradition, and the progressives are falling more on reason and experience. Mm -hmm. Certainly. So now that this kind of breaking point is nearing for the traditionalists and the more progressive wing, what would a more traditional Methodist sect look like? How would it be different from the one that we currently experience in the country? Well, no one's really sure. And in fact, people were saying, what would we even call this church? And, and this, was, this was coming from traditionalists. They're saying, do we still call ourselves Methodists? Do we mm-hmm. call ourselves something different? Orthodox Methodists? Uh, Orthodox Methodists versus Reformed Methodists? I, I don't know. Now, the vote will take place in May at, at another um, General Assembly, and this mm-hmm. is going to be held in, um, in Minneapolis. So it'll be interesting to see how the vote goes and also what comes after that, because there will be a period of more than a year in which things will be kind of sorted out. The proposal before this General Assembly is that the the individual churches would be able to maintain ownership of their structures, mm-hmm. you know, the actual churches themselves, and their property. Uh, that had been a sticking point with several other denominations, you know, facing splits like this, uh, because the Methodists generally are holding all of their property in a trust, which yeah. which covers the whole church worldwide. Uh, this would kind of free that up and allow individual churches to go as they wish. Mm-hmm. And here in San Diego, um, what are the kind of feelings among the Methodist churches in the region, which I imagine there are several, if not dozens? There are dozens, and most, uh, most again, fall in the progressive side of things. Um, however, uh, there, is a, uh, there are a couple of more traditional Methodist churches. Mm-hmm. I think they're both in Claremont. Well, one's in Claremont and one's in, uh, in Mira Mesa. Um, and one of them is, is a um, Korean uh, mm-hmm. United Methodist Church uh, that is ministering primarily to uh, Korean Americans mm-hmm. or recent immigrants. Uh, they have services in Korean. They also have services in English. Those are mostly for second and third generation, mm-hmm. you know, Korean Methodists. Um, and, and they reflect, you know, that kind of more conservative Asian approach uh, to Christianity. Um, one of the things that I found heartening in this story is that um, the minister I spoke with there uh, is good friends with the the more liberal, progressive minister I spoke with in Pacific Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they remain on excellent terms. Uh, they're, they're quite complimentary towards each other. And the, the minister at the Korean Methodist Church says, you know, we have to find a way to do this in the most Christian 
and most loving way possible. Mm-hmm. And he said, and if you're not comfortable, you know, coming here and worshiping with us in this way, and you're more progressive, he said, I've got a great friend, you know, my great friend Bob in Pacific Beach, and uh, I can recommend him to you wholeheartedly, which I thought was really a, a generous and and very Christian <laughs> kind of approach to the argument. Uh, they they definitely disagree, and yet they both, you know, really respect and, and seem to love each other. Mm-hmm. And certainly within San Diego's broader religious community, there is that kind of sense of we're all in the same boat going in the same kind of direction in a sense, so there needs to be camaraderie whenever there can be, of course. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think maybe you're right that um, they understand, again, that we're in an increasingly secular culture, and the things that bind them together are greater than these things that are are pushing them apart. Um, I spoke to a a theology professor from Point Loma Nazarene University, and he said, at times you can feel some frustration about this argument because people are saying, isn't Christianity larger than this? Mm. Shouldn't we be talking about something bigger? You know, shouldn't we be talking about God and Jesus Christ and the, you know, the message, you know, behind the Gospels rather than getting bogged down in these kind of, you know, who's sleeping with who kind of questions? Mm -hmm. And that seems to be kind of a broader question facing America's faiths today. Well, certainly there are a number of, of questions, you know, kind of pulling at, uh, at churches around, around the globe and, and here in the United States. Um, questions about sexuality uh, are, you know, this, this isn't confined to the Methodist church. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly we've seen this uh, a lot in Catholicism. Uh, we've also seen it in Southern Baptist Convention. I mentioned the Roman Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist because those are the the two largest Christian denominations in the country, mm-hmm. and the Methodists are the third. Uh, so I think that this is something you know that the broader culture, the broader culture regardless of religion, mm-hmm. is dealing with, and then within religious, you know, the United States. All denominations are kind of trying to come to terms with what does this mean and what does this mean to our beliefs. Mm-hmm. All right. Peter Rowe, thank you so much. My pleasure. In other news, it's been seven years in the making, but Hillcrest has a rainbow crosswalk. Installed directly under Hillcrest's landmark pride flag, the crosswalk is the first of San Diego's new Creative Crosswalks pilot program aimed at giving each neighborhood the opportunity to celebrate its unique pride and history. The crosswalk includes black and brown stripes, meant to celebrate persons of color, and pink and blue stripes, the colors of the trans flag. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. On weekday mornings, you can also hear a quick rundown of local weather and headlines. Just tell your smart speaker to launch the San Diego Union Tribune. You can also get the Flash Briefing as a podcast. For a full listing of our audio offerings, go to uniontrip.com slash podcasts. Until next time.